on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. You can't stop the spoilers any more than you can stop the sun from setting. You should heed those wise words from the late, great Shmi Skywalker. May she rest in power, because this podcast contains spoilers from a galaxy far, far away about the series Star Wars Visions on Disney+, Plus, as well as the series What If, also on Disney+, Plus, as well as who knows what else we're going to end up talking about. Podcast where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop. <laughs> Sorry, the Odin sleep took me. Uh, today we're covering more of Disney Plus dazzling anime anthology Star Wars Visions. But first, welcome back to the show, writer and podcaster Cody Ziegler. Zig, how are you? Yo, I'm doing great, man. Uh, uh, good. I uh, re rewatched my two favorite of the Star Wars Visions last night, just on a whim. Yes. So, like, I love that we get to talk about it. Uh, I you saw I made screen caps of my favorite little evil dude and posted to Twitter. So I'm, I'm very excited about today. I can't wait to talk about it. But first, on previously on, let's talk about uh, what if. What if episode seven, the party Thor episode, what if Thor were only child? Quick recap. <laughs> uh, Odin, rather than raise Loki on his own, sends him back to uh, Jotunheim, to his people, to live uh, in an authentic Jotun life. And it's hard to escape the fact that that clearly should have been what he did. That was, <laughs> seemed like a better move. <laughs> yeah. Really getting ahead of all the problems. Yeah, because Loki's like, I, I I know Thor has some issues needs to work through, but Loki seems absolutely like a balanced individual. Yes, he's a Jotun, but it's mm-hmm. like he's feels comfortable in his own skin. That's great. Uh, Odin falls into the Odin sleep as he is as he is off to do, and then uh, during this time, Frigga and Thor decide. Well, it's time to party. Frigga goes off to her. Uh, sister's house to drink uh, varietal wines mm-hmm. while Thor goes to Midgard, a.k.a. Earth, to throw a, a giant party. He meets Jane Foster. Th- there are massive sparks. This is one of the horniest Marvel properties <laughs> to date. In any, like, Mar- MCU, any mm-hmm. MCU property, show, movie, whatever, up there with uh, Winter Soldier, I think this is one of the <laughs> horniest ones we've seen yet. A lot of hooking up, a lot yeah. of coupling up going mm-hmm. on. Also, it's in Vegas, so like it's already like set to be like, yo, you can get weird here. You get can weird get with weird. some space aliens. Yeah, it was, <laughs> you it was just great. let it happen. You know, everybody's <laughs> scrolls are having fun. The Grandmaster's having a great time. Yeah. Uh, and as this is going on, Maria Hill in charge of Shield because of a. a uh, on the field injury to Nick Fury uh, is trying to get Thor and this uh, large chaotic party of aliens and <laughs> gods to leave the planet immediately. She hits uh, Nick Fury's space beeper, calls Captain Marvel, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and eventually they get everybody out of there. Uh, and Thor manages to evade any kind of repercussions for throwing a, an, an illicit party. Um, Frigga is fooled by his excuse that he was just studying. Um, but mm-hmm. then at the end, we get the stinger that uh, Infinite Vision, who is in the guise of uh, Space Ultron from Annihilation Conquest, has arrived. And surely things are going to get bad. I love mm-hmm. this episode, Zig. Yeah. Because as I told you in in our uh, <laughs> in our talk before we hit record... I'm one of those weird people that my favorite comics were always the comics when, like the bottle comic when the X-Men would go shopping, when all the yeah. X-Ladies would just be like, let's go to the mall. Yeah, Fuck yeah, it. yeah, It's been tough out here. Sentinel's trying to kill us all the time. Let's go to the mall. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I love it. 
Yeah, I mean, that's where I think Marvel really shines because, like, everyone has made this comparison for decades, but it's like, yes. you know, Marvel is like people on the ground that just happen to get powers, whereas DC is like right. God. So it's it's fun being like, yeah, you know, uh, Hank McCoy needs to go get some new boots. So he has to go with, yeah. like, the, the, he needs to go to, like, you know, Foot Locker to get some shoes or whatever. Like, it's fun seeing Tony Stark just hang out and, like, have a shack or do his thing. It's like, it was fun just seeing, like, this version of, like, the Marvel swimsuit edition, but it's like, you know, it's just <laughs> yeah. them hanging out turning up and being fuck boys in, in Vegas for, for however long extended period of time. And also it's, it's, they're tapping back into like what I finally think is what making the ECU work, which is everyone's having fun now. Like, yes. you know, it's not just like now the Portman not, not just showing up. Like everyone's actually seemed to be having very, like the voice acting for this episode was like very good. And also it seems like everyone was having yeah, yeah. fun. Yeah. It's like people are like having fun. So it's nice seeing like, yeah, this big giant space Viking. Yeah. He's a big party boy in the comics. And like, I love that they were channeling like young Thor in this, what if episode? Yeah, I absolutely loved it. And I love the, again, this is one of the horniest and most romantic <laughs> MCU properties episodes ever. Mm-hmm. I really thought the relationship between Jane and Thor in this was like surprisingly layered and well done. It's like, mm-hmm. listen, Jane is a badass. She's a, she's an elite scientist and physicist who's been studying a strange phenomenon for many years and she knows a lot about it. And really against her better judgment, she's just like falling for a himbo. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, it feels very related to me. She's you know like this guy, he's bad news a little bit, but he's <laughs> he's pretty hot. Yeah, he's a little bit of a bad boy, but you know, yeah. he's he's just a partier. That's all he likes to have he likes his people to have a good time. That's his big yes. fault. That's his big his big sin. He likes to have a good time. Uh, and so I loved, uh, I love their relationship. Other fine uh, pairings are Darcy and Howard the Duck. A lot of questions <laughs> here yeah. about whether what the legal status of this <laughs> of this relationship is. <laughs> I mean, like you can do anything in Vegas, right? Like, yeah, but I'm yeah. not sure. Like the paper uh, has the paperwork come through on this yet? I'm not. Mm-hmm. This feels like an annulment waiting to happen. Yeah, right. it was definitely a, a decision made in the heat of passion. Uh, I also, this is like the little small things. Like I like that the uh, the frost giants are like just chill dudes now. Like no pun intended. Like I like yeah. they're like they're like they're they were they were like spinning the carousel and like yeah. spinning that around. And like I like that Loki's like a laid back like sort of like like you know Prince Bro now. Like I, I loved all that stuff. I mean, I again, it was really. Odin should have should have sent Loki back. Like he never should have <laughs> kidnapped him. Yeah. Why did that happen? Odin, like a lot of things that Odin has to answer for over the years, including, you know, trapping Hela like under Asgard, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But like uh, kidnapping Loki, I think, is up there because like clearly <laughs> he would have been fine. And then just yeah. like, raise your son, like stop falling asleep when uh, when you d- <laughs> are do strenuous activity for like two hours. Yeah. Stop falling asleep for like three weeks. And, like, maybe be a father to your son who clearly yeah, sh- needs a little guidance. You should be the Odin parent. Maybe that's what you should do. You should fall into the Odin responsibility and, and will <laughs> the be Odin, Odin. forced to, to raise your kid correctly. Do the Odin chores. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, other stuff I loved. I loved the inclusion. I love that Fandral has a goat. Um, <laughs> Gary the goat. I, I mean, mm-hmm. in the comics, Thor has Tooth Nasher and Tooth Grinder, mm-hmm. who are his uh, two goats that pull him through space. Yep. Which people, I don't think if if you've never read a Thor comic, you may not understand how weird it is. Like just going yeah. off of the MCU version of Thor, mm-hmm. there are sh- space sharks. There are goats that can pull you through uh, intergalactic space. There's a lot of weird shit that goes on in Thor comics, and it, so it was good to see uh, some goat representation. <laughs> I loved, I loved Surtur like randomly just having the hots for the Statue yeah. of Liberty. <laughs> you, you finally see them use comedic license for like these characters. Who are like, yeah, it, like you know, usually the the jokes in Marvel is like, you know, it's 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 the moments of like levity. It's like you know, it's uh, yeah. the Falcon and Winter Soldier in the backseat making fun of Steve as he like hits on the girl. It's not like, yeah, yeah. It, it would be funny if this giant you know fire demon hit on another giant thing which would be like the statue of liberty like it's it's complete cartoonish in this in the in the best way possible and i i loved all that but speaking of like the 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 comic the thor comics of it all like i like that for the first time we got to see like a god level fight like we don't really see that in the mcu like we got to see like someone gets punched and they fly across the globe like i like that we finally get to see miss captain marvel and and thor let loose with their power set in that way that was 
to fucking epic. And I yes. also love, you know, like this is again not a not to knock other companies that also do live action and animated uh stuff, but moving the fight to like the desert mm -hmm. that's a very marvel thing to do that's something that always heroes yeah. care about in marvel yeah. whereas in some other things it'd be like why don't we just fight here in the middle of vegas and kill everyone yeah let's get some building <laughs> let's get some building production value of them collapsing captain marvel uh who would win that fight in a flat out battle in space or anywhere on the moon wherever they can do it that it's that they mm -hmm. can just cut loose who who wins? It seems like in the MCU, it seems like Captain Marvel is, from what I've gathered, is like the strongest one. Like, you know, the she's top. the one that, you know, yeah, she went toe-to-toe -to -toe with, with you know, Thanos when he had the Infinity Gauntlet. Like, really, yeah. I think Thor was having a hard time with, you know, Cap and Iron Man. It seems like the bar is, like, now the power level is, like, Captain Marvel. But it was, like, comic books. I think it's Thor because, like, you know, him, like, it, it made me think of the uh, that run where him... There's a comic run where young Thor, current Thor, and like future yeah. King Thor fight yeah. uh, Thor, Gore the God Butcher, and like it's like you know they get punched and they fly across the solar system. They're like diving through the sun, like it's yeah. it's it makes you feel like a god level cosmic fight. So like that is what we're going up with, and like I don't necessarily think that Captain Marvel is that strong in the comics. I may be wrong. I haven't read her in a couple of years, but like it seems like uh, cinematic wise, Captain Marvel's got to be the strongest in like comic books. Yeah. I think Thor feels very much like a god. Yeah, I remember the first time I was really like, oh, shit, they're powering Captain Marvel up pretty yeah. pretty high. In the comics mm -hmm. was uh, when Bendis ended his run on New Avengers with, like, giant-sized New Avengers number mm -hmm. whatever. It was, like, a, the, basically closing the, the book on it. They go and – so this is after Siege, and Madam Mask has, like, run to go see her dad, Count Nefaria, because, like, all the evil – uh, villains are on the run now and mm -hmm. the heroes are triumphant and uh so the new avengers just do a, like a quick raid on count nefarious uh condo now count nefarious for those of you who don't know he's basically immortal 100 class strength a evil villain a, a, often a thor villain because he is just extremely powerful mm -hmm. and he like energy shocks captain marvel like as after the the, the raid starts and just, just like blasting her with all this energy and she absorbs it all and then just like <laughs> reflects it back on him and just shreds him nice. and i was like oh yeah i forgot that she could do that and then the next panel is her going yep yeah, you forgot that i could you forgot <laughs> that i could do this right you forgot yeah. that i could absorb energy yeah. um which is the thing that i love that comics do is like there'll be mm -hmm. a a one panel like mention that someone yeah. can do something from 15 years ago and then yeah. somebody finds it and is like guess what this is back i can do yeah, that's that. right that's right i did my research <laughs> uh super super fun episode again like it's i wish the i just love party episodes that's it yeah more baseball more x-men baseball more avengers in the backyard having a barbecue <laughs> yeah more uh superhero basketball more trips to the mall they deserve the time off. They've earned they've, it at this point, you know. They have really, really earned it. So let's talk about the ending here. Um, yeah. Over the course of the series, we have seen the Watcher get one talk about how. Listen, I don't get involved. I don't mm -hmm. interfere. I just watch. That's it. I just watch. More and more, he is starting to get very subtly pulled into events to the point where now. At the end of this episode when uh, Infinite Vision shows up uh, in the skin of Ultron surrounded by Ultron bots, the Watcher is legitimately surprised. Mm -hmm. I, so I think clearly now we're heading into the team up where the Watcher is going to be like, okay, this is a thing I didn't see happening. Yeah. This can destroy the entire multiverse. Y'all need help. Party Thor. Listen, I know yeah. Captain Marvel, Party Thor. I know some people in the other parts of the multiverse that can come help you. To to quote my man, Doctor Strange, we're in the end game now, baby. And I feel like we're finally, <laughs> as we were seeing a couple of weeks ago, like I think that these are all nicely dovetailing. And I feel like we're finally going to see, I mean, like you said, you got to see the Watcher break his code. And I think his breaking the code is going to be assembling his own version of like whatever this animated version of like the ultimate team to fight like a galactic cosmic threat. I think he's going to put those together. Hopefully that's what I want to see. I want to see them like let loose. I hope it involves Howard the Duck. I hope it involves <laughs> Fandral and the Goat. I mm -hmm. hope it involves Scourge the Executioner getting to be on the right side of history uh, for once. Yeah. I know he 
he turned at the end, but like of Ragnarok, but that's beside the point. I'm hoping that we see the Grandmaster in action, not just behind the ones and twos releasing mm-hmm. the foam. Uh, that would be really cool. <laughs> when we come back, Zing and I discuss more Star Wars visions. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. We're back. Today we're stepping out of the airlock and into a galaxy far, far away to continue our dive into the anime extravaganza that is Star Wars Visions. Are we going to talk about three of the remaining six shorts that uh, are our favorites and caused us to most sit up and take notice? The first being, and I think this is like the consensus number one yeah. of people who have watched this, The Ninth Jedi by Production yeah. IG. The daughter mm-hmm. of a lightsaber smith discovers her own talents uh, as with the Force as she's pursued by sinister bounty hunters while attempting to deliver what may be the first new batch of lightsabers in many, many, many mm-hmm. years. Uh, cast includes uh, Simu Liu as, as Zima, uh, Neil Kaplan, Patrick Seitz, Greg Chun, Masioka, Kimiko Glenn, uh, Andrew Kishino. Uh, it's a voice acting off the charts. Yep. And a hand-drawn animation style that just looks like gritty and dark yeah. and super weird and uh-huh. kind of scary. Yeah. I loved it. This is one where I'm like, man, I want to know more about what this yeah. timeline is about. I want to know yeah, more yeah, of yeah. the story. Yeah. This is the first one I saw. Well, one of the few first ones that I watched where I'm like, oh, I want more of this. Like I would, I would like yeah. to see like just a season of like what this, what this reality is like. Yeah, I I love the Margrave. I love the Margrave, like just hanging out inside this mm-hmm. like uh, pseudo Gundam suit, like uh, <laughs> he's dropping on everybody until he's finally like, guess what? I'm yeah. here. I absolutely love this. Director Kenji Kimiyama said at a press conference in Tokyo, quote, Japanese hand-drawn animation is very different than CG animation. It's very difficult to produce, even for a short story like this one. But for a title like Star Wars, myself and all the animators knew we had to give it everything we had. And I think it'll be something a little different with a classic hand-drawn style. What is your preference, if you had a preference? You know, I think form follows function and, like, it's whatever the the medium is. But, like, you know, that's my political answer. My real answer is, like, I love hand-drawn 2d animation like that's my favorite stuff like that's the one that it's, it, you know you, you can see the the love sweat and tears poured in like we were talking about akira before we started recording and like one of my favorite things about that movie is just like the dedication to it like you can look yeah. up any like behind the scenes like there are shots will be like you know you're seeing like neo tokyo and it's like five or six or seven different layers are just like basically like matte painting for like you know and you see the artist going in with like putting in like the individual lights for the skytrippers and stuff and like i love that dedication and i love I love like I, I this is one that really spoke to me because I love the, the animation of it all in it. it. You really feel those visceral punches and kicks when they like they come through and they slice someone. Yeah, like, you just see it come apart. Like also, this is the most violent of the of the oh, Star Wars they, visions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's people just like getting cut in half and then the top half like sliding off <laughs> of the bottom. Half. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I love the hand drawn as well. Yeah. Um, Akira is you know like again I haven't I'm not a well-versed in anime by any means, but I've seen some stuff. Akira mm-hmm. being really the first one that I saw. And really, that's like was the crossover anime Yeah, yeah. Um, when I was coming up. That was the one that people had heard about. Oh, Akira. Um, yeah. Well, that was and, the one that Siskel and Ebert were like, we're going to give this two thumbs up. Like, that was when like, oh, yeah. wow, like they, they co-signed this, you know, cartoon, quote unquote. And like, that's what really sort of brought it over here. And I remember just being like, oh, holy shit, the detail of this is. Yeah so crazily uh intricate everything Mm -hmm. from the way they did like motion blurs and those kind of like quick movement moves and then um the way the camera the camera is so dynamic in that that it's Mm -hmm. uh you know where they would amplify these uh these movements so they look like really impressive by like having the camera swing around the character like as they are as they are moving and 
uh, it blew me away, and that's the same kind of vibe that that mm-hmm. uh, the Ninth Jedi has. It's really, really cool. Yeah, it's my. Um, I mean, I, I've talked about this, I think, in a previous episode, but like, I love that most of these shorts. I've been really circling the idea of like the gray Jedi a little bit more, like, right. like a little bit more of a. He's not afraid to get into a fight, and like Juro is one hundred percent not afraid to get busy in these streets. Like, I love that. Like. He shows absolutely no mercy for this fight. Was, you don't see that a lot when I when I like I think of yeah. like, I think Mace Windu is the only one that you see that like oh yeah he's he, he's no, you ain't getting out of this one alive and like I mean that's like also that that sort of called back in this like as their lightsabers light up you see one of them start turn one of the oh, lightsabers turn from red to purple yeah. you're like oh this is I you, you sort of just like getting that quick character backstory with like just just the change of color was really fun and really interesting. Yeah, that kind of tapping into Star Wars mythology about the color of of the lightsaber in that really cool storytelling way is part of what made this feel really Star Wars. Because I think some of the Visions, um, some of the Visions episodes, it's like there's a Star Wars veneer. This felt like a, an actual new Star Wars yeah. thing mm-hmm. in a in a really fascinating way. And this is my favorite by far. As you were saying that, there's been a lot of like kyber crystal like lore and like a lot of details yeah. th- peppered throughout this series which is usually reserved for like you get like one or two passages in like a video game and like it'll go into yeah. it in like the novels and stuff but like this one like you really like they're really making an effort to like dis- like tell people what kyber crystals are and, like how they affect the world around them i th- this wasn't something i was thinking about because we mentioned this uh i was talking about this with saul and chris the producers on the pod about how the, the prevalence of kyber crystals like in the series at large and I was wondering, you know, because like so much of like Japanese pop culture storytelling is about like a power source and the pros and cons of it, like mm-hmm. nuclear power, yeah. uh, you know, electrical power, mm. harnessing some sort of energy and what that might mean for the environment. I was wondering if the prevalence of the kyber crystal in these mm. stories was in some way an outgrowth of that. Like, obviously, I don't know the answer. Yeah. Kyber crystals are part of Star Wars. But it felt, it felt at least for the kind of like Japanese pop culture that I have consumed, it felt like very of a piece with that mm. idea of like, mm-hmm. let's think about where this power comes from. Yeah, let's yeah. think about what powers these things. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's, I would love to to get some some thoughts on that that seems like uh that seems i mean that that makes sense to me but also like you said like i'm from an outside looking in i don't want to make any big statements here yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. what is your second favorite visions that you would like to talk about oh uh i give a get a shout out to the elder uh i think it's episode seven it was great yeah Yeah. i mean that to me was like that was like the the pizza resistance like that's the one that like my the 13 year old kid in me that's like i just want to see people fighting i want to like anytime there's like an old grandmaster especially if he's an old grandmaster who's evil I'm like, yes. sign me the fuck. That's exactly, that's what I want in every single anime I've ever seen. A quick recap on The Elder by Studio Trigger on a visit to the Outer Rim. Jedi Master Taijin, played by David Harbour, and his Padawan Don, played by Jordan Fisher, sense a disturbance in the Force, arriving in a far-flung village. On an even farther out planet, they learn of an old man, uh, the Elder, played by James Hong, who came to town and left, hiking into the mountains. They go to uh, investigate. They find his starship. And guess what? The Elder uh, is a ex-Sith <laughs> who left the Order before it uh, dissolved, and he just wants to fight. That's it. Mm-hmm. He wants to measure his shit against anybody that yep. is any good with a lightsaber, so let's go and let's get mm-hmm. it on. I love that. Let's just do this. That's it. Like, <laughs> let's just get the action out. Let's see what it is. Let's yep. l- let's uh, let this genre, like, uh, show people what the vibrancy of anime is. It was a mm-hmm. super fun episode. I really enjoyed it as well. Yeah, super. I mean, a great choreography in the fighting. Also, um, I always love it when when um, anime applies real life martial arts to it. Um, again, mm. another another series entry into the Star Wars Vision series where like the Jedi don't come off as complete peaceful like last resort fighting. Like um, Taijin is pretty competent lightsaberman uh and that move that he does where like um so like the the, the elder has two two yeah. lightsaber katanas because of course he has to yeah and, like he comes in and he swipes him and he just grabs his hand and like that akita move and like disarms him and cuts it in half i was like you never like that's such a such a clean that tells you so much about like his personality like what this guy's thought process is like how he he approaches fighting also like he's obviously been in a lot of fights and he's not afraid to like use his skills and um like that coupled with like the ultimate badass anime move where like 
uh, you know, he he cuts off his lightsaber and just ducks under and like just sticks it in his chest and like he just pops him. Like I, like I want to see like that's the type of like visceral gut punch stuff that I want to see more in the Star Wars stuff. Where, like you know, it, it feels like a victory, but also it's just cool seeing like Jedi let their hair down and like do what needs to be done. What's your what to you distinguishes like a a really good anime? Because I think for a lot of people jumping in, it's it's mm-hmm. so much material and it's so yeah, uh, it's such a blast of energy and force and color that it can be hard to be like, I don't have a perspective yet on what mm-hmm. I like. Yeah. I mean, I'm, 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 like I said, I like shonen anime, which is like young, young boy, adolescent voice, like 13 year olds, like stuff for teens. Like that's what I grew up with. First of all, like episode count, like a lot of anime has way too many episodes. So if like, it's less than like five seasons, like I'm pretty much into it. But, um, a lot of stuff I like is like animation wise. Like I like really vibrant kinetic animation styles, um, stuff like one punch man, my hero academia, like that has really fun stuff to attack on Titan. Uh, but then also like like whatever the theme is like a lot of a lot of those stories because I think they they are aimed towards like younger younger people is that like it's all about yeah you should do good with your friends like you should have this should be yeah. about the idea of like the collective as opposed to like the individual and like there's a way to mix those two where like you can be an individual and let your you know let your your personality show through but also still uplift others and do the good and I think that's that's what really draws me um, if they happen to have some cool robots in it as well um, it's just <laughs> icing on the top you know I'm always big. I'm a big I'm a big robot person. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I mean obviously Voltron I think is probably for people in my gen like a lot a, a, an early intro although we didn't understand that at the time <laughs> to anime. Yeah. Robotech similarly like oh, I've uh-huh. always been fascinated about like people inside huge robots, Gundams, yeah, the, yeah. that kind of shit is just yeah. super super cool. Have you ever seen um, Pat Lepore? Have you heard of that series? It's the one mm-hmm. where like it's uh, another mecha series, but they're just like cops in Japan. So it'll be like them, like they'll have like their big shootout stuff, but then also it'll just be like them moving, helping move farming equipment that's broken down. And, like it's very fun. <laughs> it's very fun. Like it's the like a, a cab, except for those particular instances. Like I, I support those those robot. <laughs> yeah, cops. Well, what is it called? All that. I'm gonna uh, Pat Labor. Pat Labor. Uh, yeah, very fun series. Uh, director and writer of The Elder, uh, Masahiko Otsuka, said at the uh, same Tokyo press conference we mentioned before, quote, for some viewers, this series might be their first Star Wars experience, so I wanted to make something that you can enjoy without any knowledge of the rest of the story. So our story is not directly connected to any of the characters from the films, but it explores the idea of the Jedi Knights and the Master and Padawan dynamic in an older setting. I thought it did that quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also... You know, for a story that involves a Padawan, a Jedi trainee, I thought it was, first of all, hyper-violent and really scary in the sense that, like, you, I, I thought we were going to watch this Padawan get yeah. murked. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought yeah. that was going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is definitely not a, a place that Star Wars goes very often. So that was like a whoa. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is um, this was like uh, there's I think the back half, particularly of the season, were definitely leans towards like darker stuff. Like, you know, they they have those pops with like the um, the the Tatooine Rhapsody, the the Astro Boy one. I yeah. think it's like TB Toby or whatever that one was called. Like, yeah, we're gonna talk peppered, about that one next. <laughs> yeah, those are peppered <laughs> in, but like this one like was particularly dark, and also like this is just a complete side. Uh, anytime I see a black person with a lightsaber, I'm already in. So like, uh, part of me was like yeah, very yeah. worried that he was gonna get murked, but like I'm glad that, I'm glad that my king pulled through. Shout out to my boy Dan. I still want a lightsaber. Like that's the thing. <laughs> I since I was a kid, I've wanted one. Yep. I used to have Luke's from a Return of the Jedi, the green one, mm-hmm. uh, and this was like before you know there was any kind of tech. They yeah. it, it was just a, basically a plastic tube, and they had cut notches in it in a specific way so that when you waved it, it made like a very very like pinner yeah. like woo sound but it was not good now the ones they have now are really cool and that you put batteries in them and they make the electronic sounds and they sound Mm -hmm. really great but i still wanted like a legitimate i would cut my hand off no question (laughs) but i still want one like i I, legitimately want one yeah look i think i think there's a be important time when technology gets to the point where you can have your very own lightsaber that you will instantly lose a limb with and i think it'll be worth it (laughs) Uh, and then finally, let's talk about T.O.B. One by Science Saru. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, very reminiscent of Astro Boy, a robotic boy mm-hmm. named T.O.B. One, a.k.a. Toby, would love to become a Jedi while working with his creator, Professor Mitaka, to turn a wasteland planet into a paradise. 
Shades of Pinocchio, uh, etc. And, of course, uh, T.O.B. 1 comes into conflict with a Sith Inquisitor. Uh, There is a big fight. Uh, Toby's uh, droid friends help him out. Uh, And this is an interesting one because on the one hand, watching it, I had to turn my Star Wars brain completely off because there's a bunch of stuff in this that it's like, this doesn't exist. This -hmm. would never happen. This doesn't happen in Star Wars. Droids can't wield the force. Now it later is revealed that he has a kyber crystal inside powering him, Mm -hmm. but still like droids uh, can't use the force. Mm -hmm. We've never really seen them successfully wield lightsabers in a way that would suggest they'd be able to hold their own against Mm-hmm. a Sith Inquisitor or anybody with any kind of training with it. But I really enjoyed this one because it was just, it honestly, it's all about the aesthetics for me. The, the, yeah. the visual style was so like bubbly and accessible and Pokemon esque <laughs> and Astro boy esque. Yeah. Um, the droids were super cute when the Inquisitor started like slashing them up. I was like, how fucking yeah. dare you? <laughs> uh, and that coupled with like the, the contrast of this really wonderful, childlike, rounded edges uh, animation and, and illustration style with mm-hmm. like really chaotic and vibrant and energetic action and violence was just like so, so cool. Yeah, it, it, it was fun. I mean, we've, we've said it a couple of times now, but like the Astro Boy of it all with like just seeing that tied back to like you know, this is distinctively like one of the first popular like animes that came out in Japan and like seeing that mapped over the Star Wars world. And like I'm immediately I'm thinking of everything that came after. It's like I'm thinking of like this is like Mega Man, like you said, Pinocchio. Yeah. Like it's just yeah. so fun seeing that in that world. But then also there's like a sprinkle of like Miyazaki with like the bringing back plants on this world and like seeing those like grow together. And like they're that's their big their big mission is like bringing life back to this planet. And then at by that point, you're like, oh, I forgot that this was even Star Wars, not in a bad way, but in a sense of like you it's nice seeing like this side of Correct. stuff like you yes. don't need to see like the punchy punchy stuff like I'm for that like I love when he came with the lightsaber I'm not gonna lie but like like up until that point it, it was nice just seeing like yeah you know I had a Padawan uh it seemed like he died and like maybe we took his brain and put it or like you know they did like a, a grievous type deal with him and I don't know that that whole slice of life stuff. Like I like seeing stuff that happens after the fall of the Jedi. Like usually we yes. get like we get like um what was the PS4 game um uh with um the ginger Jedi and Deborah Wilson was oh, like his uh, mess. Uh, uh, Fallen Order. S- yes, Star Wars Fallen yeah. Order. Like I like seeing all that stuff. I like seeing like how they sort of pick up the pieces and choose their life and what they're doing now that they're on the run and in hiding. I love that too. And it's just as a personal thing. Like I love coming of age stories like i'm a mm-hmm. sucker for it any any young kid trying to find their way in a in a in a potentially dangerous world that they're only just beginning to realize is dangerous mm-hmm. uh is like crack cocaine for me like i love <laughs> i love that conflict of like the naivete and innocence yeah. of youth versus mm-hmm. the reality of the universe mm-hmm. and if you couple that with like an older character like Mitaka, who is obviously very protective of this younger character, but also mm. like maybe because of the age, you know that this person can't be around much longer. And that is the sh- that is just the shit that gets me. Like, yeah. And so I was just like, uh, man, I, I was. I was sucked in immediately from yeah. the opening minutes of that's, this episode. That's yeah, the know, stuff that really gets to me. Yeah, you know two things. That character's not going to be long, around for a long time, and they're keeping yeah. some secret that's going to come to light at the yes. most inopportune time. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, at the happen. worst possible time. I, that, I mean, it's the stuff that I love. And it's, you know, to me, it's like storytelling is like um, a lot of the stuff that people are like, oh, you know, like, especially this was how it was for like nerd culture stuff. Like when I was like a teen, it was like not cool. Mm-hmm. But to me, a lot of this stuff like this, these kind of themes of like youth trying to figure it out, uh, mm-hmm. protected by like an older character, it teaches lessons and it involves themes which like are childlike in the sense that you know it's a stage of life you move past. But on the other hand, these are lessons that stay with you your entire life, and you consider yes. them childlike because yes. they are so fundamental. Yes. Well, yeah, that's 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 George Lucas whole thing. He's like, these are for children, not in a pejorative sense, but like these are myths and 
historically myths have been you tell them around a campfire you're like hey don't look yeah. into the lake like narcissists or because you're going to be bad uh, uh, uh hercules went on the 12 labors to do the thing whatever like you're distilling down a very complex idea moral idea to like a simple thing that you could tell a kid and they can remember like and i think that's why star wars works so well is that it is just a myth that's like hey there's good and bad uh some could say light some could say dark and your 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 job in life is to choose the light side which we're equating with good and i think that's very much why this uh, the series works so well particularly this episode uh, which is just like yeah once you put a kid in the equation like it's instantly made simplified and you can you can sort of like I distill those ideas down, which I think is what you want to want with this, with the series like this. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was so much fun. Uh, up next, I talk with Alex Damon of the YouTube channel, star Wars explained to talk about what, if any of this stuff could possibly be canon. On May 10th, kingdom of the planet of the apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to The Hive Mind, where we dive deeper into a specific topic with the help of a guest panelist or interview. On today's episode, Alex Damon of the incredibly popular and incredibly good YouTube channel Star Wars Explains joins me. I'm a subscriber. I'm in the Patreon. I would urge you, if you have any interest in Star Wars, you want to know more about Star Wars, Alex and Molly do an incredible job. I would subscribe immediately if you are looking for that kind of content. So Alex is joining me today to talk about the, you know, the possibilities in Star Wars Visions for some of this stuff entering canon. Alex, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks so much for having me, and thanks for all the kind words. Uh, you guys are the best. Um, so first of all, for the uninitiated, for those who don't know, how canon is Star Wars Visions? What aspects of it are potentially canon? Uh, I would basically just go with the assumption that none of it is canon for mm -hmm. now. That's the idea that the the Lucasfilm producers put forth. They had this idea and they were like, just make anything you want. Don't worry about what's come before or what's going to happen. Uh, and, and some of the shorts are very clearly not set in the normal universe. Right. Uh, some are. And so I think that there's potential for down the line, some of these things to be brought into canon. But for now, I'm just going to go under the assumption that it's all kind of in an alternate universe, basically. What do you think, which ones would be the easiest to kind of slot into existing canon or uh, to use as like uh, launch points for exploration of like a different era of Star Wars? Hmm. I think the the easy one is Tatooine Rhapsody because that's the right. one that, you know, has Boba Fett and Jabba the Hutt and Tatooine yeah. in it. Uh, so I, I'm fully expecting someday to be reading a book and someone's just going to mention their favorite band, Star Waver. And I'll be like, there it is. Like, <laughs> they, there it is. that's it. Um, I think the village bride is another mm. one that could pretty easily slide in because it, it does establish itself in the timeline um, after the Clone Wars. And it, it's so set apart on like just this strange planet with their own beliefs mm -hmm. and customs, like far away from the Empire. So uh, that one seems like it would be pretty simple. Um, the rest of them, like the duel... Uh, even though it's getting its right. own novel coming up, that one is pretty firmly, I think, outside of things. Um, but it's definitely a case by case basis. I'm trying to think. Uh, I would love to see more from the Ninth Jedi. That yeah, was that my, was my favorite, favorite one. one. Yeah. yeah, same here. It was yeah, so was good. Really cool. And that's like a that's an approach I feel like that um we haven't seen yet. Like we've gone back, you know, to. Uh, uh, you know, the High Republic era. We've gone back and explored stuff in the past, but we've never jumped that far ahead. So that was really cool. Yeah, the Ninth Jedi is something. I, I'm very much of the belief that the next time we do anything in the future, they should jump way into the future, in like way, way down the line. Because I love that about the Ninth Jedi, where it did some things where I was just like, oh, it stinks that the Jedi are still struggling to get restarted. 
but who knows what happened in the past right. hundred or so years, thousand years, like anything could have happened. I also love the aspect, like the idea that they actually haven't seen a lightsaber in a long time. Like we're just look, where are they? We're looking for them. How do we, you know, like that was really cool. Uh, in, in addition to the very like creepy overall vibe of that particular short, it was really cool. I, I guess let's go down in, um, let's go in order and just talk about some of the canonical questions here. So you mentioned the duel, uh, which takes place in a remote village on an unknown planet. We get a, a duel bes- between a mysterious Ronin and a Sith bandit leader. Um, this, of course, is going to get a novelization, which I assume is, if it's popular enough, this character may find its way into canon somehow. Um, but there are a lot of interesting, like, mismatched, like, parts, like, whether it's the design of the Stormtrooper helmets that some of the bandits have, uh, you know, how did they get an Imperial spy drone to wield uh, samurai swords? Um, what are your thoughts about this one in terms of, if it were canon, when would it be and mm-hmm. where? Uh, I have an interesting perspective on this because I was lucky enough to get the book before the shorts came out. Oh, cool. So I, it it was kind of, yeah, cool and, uh, a little not disappointing, but just the the first two chapters of the book are the short. And I kind of realized that after the first chapter, I was like, oh no, I'm being spoiled. Um, (laughs) it, it, it is what it is. But on the other hand, it was kind of cool to be watching the short and like, no, who the Ronin is and who the bandit is and know a little bit of extra history. Um, but I, I think that based on the book, there's no way that this is going to be <laughs> can Like, I, I think that they were very much like, this is its own thing. It's a completely different take, a completely mm-hmm. different history. Um, I, I won't go too deep into that. <laughs> Please go deep if you feel as oh. if you need to. I would love to hear it. I'll, I'll just throw it like a mild, I'm not going to go into plot details so sure. much, just uh, universe details for the book in case people want to read it. But it, it goes into like a different history for the Jedi and the I Sith. I see. Uh, I see. The Jedi are very different. The Sith are very different. It, it, it's all familiar stuff. Obviously, we have lightsabers and the dark side and the light side and ships. And uh, I'm, I'm trying really hard to be delicate in what I say. Um <laughs> But it's it's definitely an alternate take on Star Wars, just like Visions was supposed to be. So if I were to place it somewhere in canon, I would place it way, way, uh, an even longer time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Mm. But I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> uh, let's go to Tatooine Rhapsody by Studio Colorido. This one, I think, is maybe the most interesting about where it would slot into canon if you were going to try and place it in there. Mm. Uh, A former Jedi Padawan becomes the singer of an aspiring rock band. Uh, He very nonchalantly wears his lightsaber on his belt as a microphone. Uh, And of course, we, it, it, a lot of the story takes place on Tatooine. We see the uh, pod racing stadium. We meet a new son of Jabba the Hutt, Geezer, um, who, is a new, I I think is Jabba's, this is a new son. This would be a new son for Jabba canonically, a new child for Jabba. I mean, you tell me, where would this fit into canon if it did fit in? And using context clues, where do you think it might fit in? Right. I I mean, I think it would have to go five, maybe 10 years, somewhere in that area after Revenge of the Sith, since it starts Mm -hmm. off and we see Jay surviving order 66 or what i assume is happening there and uh he escapes uh g is yeah he's interesting because i i'm not sure if he's definitely part of like the family as in the hut cartel right. um i don't know if he's rada's brother i I know everyone is desperate to know what happened to rada the hut from the clone wars but <laughs> i feel like g is probably too old for rada to have grown right he's probably it, like so. two three hundred years old or something <laughs> right. like that and I guess, like, you could, I, what they could say is, like, during the events of Clone Wars when we knew Rada, it's like, Jesus was, like, on the road, like, traveling with the band. And so, therefore, yeah, we never Yeah, and is probably him, like, yeah. yeah, it's just a phase. He'll come back. And when it was clear that it wasn't, <laughs> yeah. he had to send Boba Fett out. <laughs> Another uh, fun fact about this, uh, about this particular episode is uh, Boba Fett is in it with the original trilogy look. Um, what do we know about Boba Fett during this time frame five to ten years post revenge of the sith 
Yeah, not a ton. I guess like he'd be an up and comer as well. Now that I think about it, kind of right. that that's a fun idea that <laughs> uh, Java sent his up and comer bounty hunter after this up and comer band. But um, <laughs> yeah, I guess he'd be making a name for himself at this point. Uh, in canon, we don't have a whole lot for him uh, right now, but he he's been shown to be pretty ruthless at this time. Like, there's a reason yeah. he's the most feared bounty hunter in the galaxy. Which he he does point a blaster pistol at that unconscious dude, and I was like, oh, all right. He does do that. I wonder if this is how Jabba's like love of music, like this is how he hires Max Rebo. You know what mm. I mean? Like, is is through his becoming. Uh, like the de facto manager of an indie rock band in the galaxy. I love that idea. I love that. I'm trying to think if, because uh, I don't think we see the Max Rebo band or anything like that in the Clone Wars movie or TV show. Yeah. So yeah, this could be, yeah, sparking a love of music for Jabba. <laughs> uh, or or yeah, he just, he doesn't even care about the music. He's just a slimy records dealer. Like that, that seems to fit too. But that's a really um, fun idea that he, he's he got to like, I love Jedi Rocks. This is going to be the, the song that blows up. And I, I've got the band here. I've got the band. I've got them. Like, and then, of course, it's like when it, com- when it comes time to get paid, it's like he's like, here's a here's a little. Hey, how about this speeder? And then, and, he, and then Jabba just like embezzles all the profits oh. for everybody. He's like, you know, like the colonel, like uh, Elvis's manager. It's <laughs> like they live in hand to mouth and Jabba's is getting rich off their <laughs> off their work. I think in uh, the Tales from the Jabba's Palace book back in the Legends days, he had a deal set up where Max agreed for the entire band that they would just work for food. And like everyone else was <laughs> mad at Max for making that deal, but he was happy with it. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, what are you going to go against Jabba? <laughs> there's tips too. You know, there's like perks if you're in the palace. Um, <laughs> next episode, The Village Bride by Kinema Citrus. After the Great Jedi Purge, a Jedi named F and an advisor explorer named Valco participate and engage in the distinct wedding customs of an isolated village. Um, here we, we uh, see separatist droids that have been reprogrammed. When would this take place, you think, if you had to try and slot it in? Right. So we're again, we're going after the Clone Wars. I, I don't think it takes place like five years down the line, especially with battle droids still in the yeah. mix. It seems like it would be closer to one or two years after uh, Revenge of the Sith. Oh, that's, a, uh, that's a fun one. Producer Kanako Shirasaki told StarWars.com, this short introduces the Force in a unique way. People of planet Kila don't know the concept of the Force, but they interpret in their own way. They call it Majina and use it to connect them with the nature around them. We saw a lot of interesting recontextualizations of the Force and people's relationship to their kyber crystal and how the kyber crystal works within the lightsaber. What did you think of like uh, those kind of new explorations of the Force and kyber and stuff? I I always love that stuff. I mean, I've always enjoyed new interpretations of the Force. I remember when Luke started talking to Rey about how like if the Jedi die, the light does not die. Uh, that's yeah. vanity. And there, yeah, there's so much more than just the Jedi and the Sith, but that's what we spend the most time on. So uh, I, I love when Star Wars Rebels takes a look at things with the Lasad or the Clone Wars goes to the Night Sisters and we see dark side magic. Um, so yeah, I, I love seeing new takes. And the Majina was fun where, yeah, it's not, we can't move rocks with our minds, but we can experience like the the memories of the planet and stuff. I yeah. thought that was really cool. Do you think they ever bring in like more of like the force sensitive animals as an animal lover? Like, or will we? Do you think we ever see more of that stuff in the in um, the canonical Star Wars? I think we've seen some cool things, especially in Star Wars Rebels. The Loth Wolves, yeah. uh, they were they were pretty crazy. And then I feel again in the Last Jedi, I feel like they touched on that with the the Voltices, the little fox, the crystal foxes helping yeah. lead the way out. Like, I, I wouldn't mind seeing more of that in live action, kind of like the the nature side of things uh, coming in to assist instead of it always. I, I guess that's also a very Lord of the Rings thing, the eagles coming to save the day, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> something like that. I think that fits in Star Wars too. Um, let's talk about both of our favorites, also Cody's favorite, um, The Ninth Jedi, produced by Production IG. 
Um, the daughter of a lightsaber smith discovers her own talents with the Force as she's pursued by sinister bounty hunters while attempting to deliver what may be the first new batch of lightsabers in many, many years to Margrave Jr. The Margrave! <laughs> um, I just love the way she's like, oh, it's the Margrave! It's, like, <laughs> it's so cute. Um, this one was just super fun and just had my wheels turning about what a year's jump ahead Star Wars story could possibly be. This one was really cool. It's so hard. But if you had to guess like how many years ahead of where we are in the, let's say, the latest trilogy, like marking it to that timeline, how far ahead might this be? And and what from this would you like to see kind of make its way into canon? Yeah, I'm going to I'll just go like, let's say 4000 years, like really throw yeah. it out there. Give us a bunch of time in between where, yeah, like maybe Ray did get the Jedi order back up and running. And then again, like just cycles uh, yeah. like the galaxy goes through because um, th- that's happened in the past as well, where the Jedi have right. been whittled down to almost nothing and then they come back. So uh, I'd rather see that than it's like, oh, it's 50 years in the future and like We're still, still the Jedi yeah, are, yeah. still. It's like it's still just a handful of us. And yeah, it's funny. I think it would also work really well as an ancient history story for Star Wars, where it's like they're just now figuring out how lightsabers are made. Uh, and that's kind of what the why they're a little bit different. But man, I, I loved the the kyber crystals that react to the wielder. I, uh, yeah, I really like that, too. I thought that was such a cool concept, which has been explored in Star Wars a little bit before, or they were going to in Return of the Jedi. Um, and then they they didn't do that. But when Darth Vader takes Luke's lightsaber in Jedi, it was supposed it was going to be red. And I think they decided that'd be <laughs> too confusing. Uh, so I like that they brought it back here and used it as like the signal of a twist that all of these guys are Sith uh, and you're in deep tr- trouble. <laughs> so... I'd love to see something like that, I think, explored in live action or or canonically. I love the way it explored also, like, just uh, not just the kyber, but the way that there can be different kinds of lightsabers, like a lightsaber that where the length changes and stuff like that. Have they... um, is that something that they've explored before in Legends or anything where where um, th- there can actually be lightsabers that are like clear or or different colors than red and uh, green or that can change length? Yeah, I've, I think I remember in the Jedi Academy trilogy, uh, I think Kip Duran had a lightsaber that could change color. It could definitely change length, but that's something that isn't really unique to the ninth jedi like mm-hmm. lots of lightsabers can change their length we just never really see it utilized in a right in a show or a movie um but it, the way that Kara could do it it was almost through the force it wasn't like a technological thing she just willed it to be longer or shorter uh and then of course her lightsaber color changes over the course of the story and i love that we even see the margrave his lightsaber has like a little yeah. ring on it he yeah. has like a little extra flair <laughs> Now, it, uh, in these shorts, there's a lot of, you know, we we got some, obviously, again, this is non-canonical. We got some new sources of kyber crystal um, that don't exist in, in, in um, what we know about Star Wars. But where, canon-wise, where are the sources of kyber crystal right now that are for sure? Uh, well, Ilum is like the big one. That's kind of the sacred Jedi spot. Yeah. But they've mentioned Jeddah as a place that has kyber um lothal i mean kyber crystals can be found all around it's just that there's certain areas like ilum where they're found in high concentration um but it doesn't like that never stood out to me where i was like oh well kyber crystals can't be here it was just like no it's just another planet that has them in that ring which i thought the the mining catapult things yeah uh, i thought that was a really cool idea um pitch finally like why don't uh i'd love to hear you pitch your personal like star wars visions uh episode like what would you love to see oh man i mean it, I, I think i probably would have gone back in time mm-hmm. uh i, I, like I uh, old republic maybe maybe the jedi just starting to 
begin, maybe we get into the hundred year darkness, which is when the Sith split off from the Jedi and they uh, actually start to fight. I think that would be fun. Although after seeing visions, I'm like, my big criticism of the series is that they were, they were all Jedi stories. It would have been fun to see uh, something else, uh, like a starfighter pilot story or just a bounty hunter. Star waiver was, I think the closest to that where it was more scoundrels. Um, so maybe I would say I, I still want to play with the Jedi and the force. So maybe we do the Mandalorian wars or something like that. Yeah. That's, that's the one that I would pitch, uh, <laughs> not, and I would pitch it, uh, because one, I'm super interested in that era. And two, I feel like we could get it made because the pitch would be, Hey, this is providing context to the Mandalorian, the show about their culture and, you know, how important, uh, their relationship uh, with Beskar is and their different uh, confrontations with the Jedi. Like this is important context to that story. So what about, what about a Mandalorian Wars story? I, I feel like we could have a lot of fun with Mandalorian armor as well. Like anime Mandalorian armor sounds fun. And then eventually you get like a Mandalorian Gundam or something huge. Just oh my absurd. God, that would be, <laughs> I can, Cody would uh, flip out. That would be super cool. Check out Star Wars Explained on YouTube. Uh, Alex and Molly do the best job in the business at explaining everything about Star Wars to you. If there's a show that comes out, check in there. If you want to know the entire timeline of the Star Wars universe, that's there for you. If you want to know about Star Wars Visions, if you want to know the Bad Batch, go to Star Wars Explained on YouTube. It's great. Alex, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Up next, the end game. <laughs> We're in the end game now, folks, and this week in honor of Ziggs, The Amazing Spider-Man number 80 coming December 1st. Run, don't walk to your local comic shop to make this thing fly off the shelves. We're playing Fit Check Spider-Verse Edition. <laughs> we are going to rank our top three favorite Spider-Man universe costumes and that can be heroes that can be villains that can be if you're like man j jonah jameson really wore the shit out of that suit (laughs) that particular day that's fine are you ready cody would you like to go first i you know i'll I'll do the honor i will i'll take the honor of going first um first off you got to give a shout out to uh the spider-verse suit for miles morales one of the cleanest to ever do it uh and also perfect perfectly captures what that character is with like you know, if you when when you it just distills down like what a black young kid should be like. You have his suit. Yes. You have that. It's like it's you know it's um it's a Peter's original red suit, uh, spray painted over, giving his own identity. But like what all ties together is the fucking Jordans. And like it's crazy to think yes. that like when I when I think <laughs> of like I think when most people think of like Miles Morales now, they think of like the Chicago ones. He's got his suit on, but like really like that was that was the first time that like you saw that out in large. So like I got to give it up for the Spider Verse suit. I, I completely agree with you. Mm-hmm. I also have the Spider-Verse suit on my oh, great. Uh, on my list. It's just awesome. Yeah. When he dives off mm-hmm. uh, the Empire State Building and it's mm-hmm. – uh, you're just like, yes. <laughs> Everything about it is cool. And as you said, like, you know, the trick with character design is can the costume convey something about the character? Yes. And it does it. Mm-hmm. My next pick – is also a, a costume design that I feel like uh, conveys the character. And to me, it's, I think it's the most exciting uh, costume design, like, I don't know, in the last 10 years, in a long time. It's uh, <laughs> Spider-Gwen. Oh, uh, yep. Gwen Stacy from Earth-65 mm-hmm. with the white, uh, w- the white and red kind of like pinkish spider suit with the mm-hmm. hood. I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, holy shit. Designed by Jason Latour. Yeah. It is just so fucking cool. Yeah. I, any any hero's costume with a hood built into it, like it's kind of athleisure and it's yeah. kind of a superhero. I'm yeah. all the way in. I fucking loved it. It first appears in uh, issue number two of the Edge of the Spider-Verse storyline. It's just 
super rad, super uh, cool. Perfect, perfect it. choice. Uh, another Spider Verse suit, uh, well, from the from the comics is a uh, Spider Punk. Uh, uh, yeah, cla- like such a bizarre comic book <laughs> swing. Weirdo. Yeah. yeah. In this universe, I guess uh, Peter is a is a British punker who <laughs> still plays in a punk band before he goes around time whipping and quipping. So like, uh, I love I love the guitar accessory that he has. I love the spiked Liberty spikes. Uh, in, in the Spidey suit, uh, ten ten costume design. No notes on that one. So let's see. I've got two. Uh, I mean, this is very basic, and I'm but I'm just <laughs> going to do it. The symbiote suit. Oh, it. Uh, I, you know, it's origins in the Secret Wars crossover event. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter gets this uh, black goo that becomes his suit. Eventually, all sorts of hijinks occur when he realizes it's alive and is. Uh, making him swing through the canyons of New York City at night and do various things that he doesn't even remember doing. Eventually, they get it off of him. Reed Richards helps by blasting it with uh, sonic waves. This was like a fucking earthquake when I first started reading (laughs) comics. I mean, you know, like... uh, Spider-Man really, other than like the webs under the armpits Mm -hmm. and some shit around the eyes, like had not, the costume was static, folks. For mm-hmm. 30 years or whatever it was, 25 mm-hmm. years, like it had never changed. And then the black suit came in and just switched everything up yeah. and, and the game was was yeah. forever altered. Like it was so cool when the black suit came out. Still one of the cleanest suits in the game. Absolutely <laughs> immaculately fucking clean (laughs) and then the ability to like dive into this whole other backstory that opened up an entire other wing of spider-man lore Mm -hmm. with both heroes and villains and villains that then became heroes uh with the introduction of the of the symbiote and its various uh, abilities super cool Mm -hmm. love the symbiote suit it's just part of it is a defining <laughs> landmark of my childhood. What is your last suit? Uh, I am also going with a villain turned sometimes anti-hero turned usually back to villain. I'm going with Doc Ock's white pimp suit. Uh, oh. I got to get a shout out to, <laughs> to my bowl cut king walking up in the cut with his white suit. Got it tailor made probably yeah. in uh, lower Manhattan. Got his fuck up with his four holes for his arms to come through. Like uh, we got to give it yeah. up to my man. With the sunglasses on, got like. it. That I mean, like sometimes he'd have the little, like you know, the little carnation in lapel, uh-huh. that fucking square cut of the shoulders, <laughs> yep. so my guy looks like a linebacker. Yep, he knew what was Doc going Ock, on. The like he knew what it was, <laughs> dude. He knew what it was yeah. about. Uh, that is a great, great call. Love that suit. Uh, special mention for one of my least favorite suits. Um, the Iron Spider comic suit. It's mm. hideous. I hate it. It's mm. disgusting. What do you think about the MCU version of it? It was okay. The MCU version was fine. Yeah. It was better. Um, but like the the comics version, Tony Stark, the guy has never had like he's not <laughs> what I would call a tasteful guy. Yeah. He doesn't understand the aesthetics, the aesthetic game. He just is like you know, form should follow function. Yeah. And uh, there's just too many bells and whistles. You can tell he's a car guy with that suit. Didn't <laughs> love it. Um, I, I just got to shout that out because I found it gross. And also just like, I don't, uh, this is just me. And I, I had the same problem with the MCU version of the suit, mm-hmm. but it's, but I get it. I don't like the legs. Like I don't <laughs> want the spider legs in it. That's it. It's too much. It's kind of like why it's this is why Mickey Mouse wears gloves, because if he takes <laughs> off the gloves, you realize he's a fucking rat because you yeah. see the rat claws. <laughs> Similarly, when Spider-Man has the spider legs, you're like, oh, yeah, that's a spider. I'm kind of creeped out. Yeah, by those. yeah. No, not as don't endearing. do that. Yeah, yeah, it's too yeah, much. I don't need it. <laughs> That's it for the end game. Let us know whether you agree or couldn't disagree more. Share your answers using the hashtag XRV endgame. That's hashtag XRV endgame. Zig, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Alex Damon, thank you for joining us as well. Zig, where can people find you next? You know what? Uh, find me at all them social media, Jay for Zig. Uh, I think. As of this week, when this episode drops, uh, I have a short story, a backup in Miles Morales number 30. Let's go. Uh, 10 year anniversary. Uh, I had a very emotional post about it. I remember 10 years ago, I was running to the comic book shop because I heard there was a black Spider Man. And that. to say that 10 years later, I have uh, my own short story in it is, is, a, is a God dream. So, like, check that out. I would love for people to read I that. I mean, what, a, what, a, what an amazing turn of events. Like, for real. Like, it's weird. Congratulations, dude. Zig. Thanks, it must man. be. It, 
I can't imagine what it feels like. It must feel amazing. I mean, you know, similarly, but much less cool. The fact that I get to talk about this stuff that I've loved since I was a kid is truly a blessing. Yeah, we're living. Congratulations to you. Pick that issue up and don't forget Amazing Spider number 80, December 1st. Pick it up. Folks, next week our episode will be dropping on Thursday, October 6th, in order for us to cover the finale of Marvel's What If on Disney+. Plus. This is the way, and that's it for X-Ray Vision this week. See you next time. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by me, Jason Concepcion, and Sandy Gerard. Caroline Reston and Carlton Gillespie are our consulting producers, and our editing and sound design is by the great Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. Thank you, Heimdall, for being here on this uh, no remote interview. I'm not sure why we had to be on a Zoom call if you can see and hear everything, but um, here we are. So. You know, I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but how would you speak to me, right? See, it's more it's mainly for your benefit. Great. I'm glad that you think that. Okay. You came very highly recommended by Thor. Um, Thank you. Not sure if that's a good thing or bad thing, but... Uh, we're, we're bros. Oh, okay, good. That's my bro. That's my, that's my, that's my bro, uh, you know, the son of the king. I don't know if you know that. Uh, by the way. Just yeah, um, FYI. Yeah, very... Very familiar with Thor. Uh, he once threw a massive part in my backyard and destroyed a beautiful fountain I spent months building, but that's not a here and there. So uh, I don't know if you know what the job is, but I do, uh, I do know. I I've heard I've heard tell a little bit about it, but uh, yeah, okay. tell me more. So you are going to wield the Holfind, this gorgeous sword here, and awesome. it triggers the Bifrost to go across the Rainbow Bridge, to go across the universe, the Nine Realms. Also, you are responsible for seeing and hearing everything that happens across all time and space. I got that. Yeah, I got that. I think I put that down there on my uh, on my resume, if you have it right there. Yes. Sees and hears everything in the universe. That's me. I see it all. All seeing, all hearing, all knowing, the whole bit. If a mouse farts in Jotunheim, I hear it, I see it, I smell it, I know about it. I won't tell you about it. I could mention all the mice farting on all the different realms uh, right now, but that's I keep that to myself. I just mention mainly the important stuff, but so, I do see and hear everything. That's absolutely So you 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 yes. saw then when Thor destroyed my fountain that I had spent so much time working on and what? you just didn't say anything like, hey, maybe don't, don't uh, do that? I mean, you know, I mean, there's a different, you know, there's different, it's, it's situational when you would mention stuff. Obviously, if it, if it rises to the level of, of you know, a threat to a realm or something like that. But if it's just a, uh, if it's just something that's going on in a backyard, some like minor property damage, I don't really see the, the need to mention that to Odin, who I believe was sleeping at that time anyway. Uh, okay. So yeah, am I, do I have the job or what? Uh, I, I, I guess no one else applied. So I, I, I guess you got it, but I'm um, just, yes. just actually just, you know, I try and it. watch the universe if you can it. and, and maybe just try to keep I, Thor I in check it. if Believe you can. Just oh, by the a, way, a your Amazon bit, packages are, are being dropped off at your house oh, right now. Uh, shit. Uh, I gotta go. Um, okay, fine. I guess you got the job. Congratulations. If you're looking for the most epic place on Earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions.